Hello, everyone. This is Joyce Davis, Penn Live's opinion editor, coming to you with another Battleground PA podcast. As usual, we have our trusted analyst, Rajette Harris, our Democrat, and Jeffrey Lord, our Republican analyst, to talk about some very interesting issues, including the upcoming primary. So stay tuned. And if you want to join us, you can tweet us or Facebook us at Battleground PA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. This is Battleground PA, a Live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay. Hello, everyone, again. This is Joyce Davis, Penn Live's opinion editor, and I am joined by Rajette Harris, our Democratic analyst, and Jeffrey Lord, our Republican pundit. He loves me to call him that, right, Jeffrey? Hello, Jeffrey. Absolutely. <laughs> How's everyone doing today? Hanging in. Great. All right, good. Well, guys, let's get started. You guys know what we're dealing with here. We're looking at, in a few days, a primary, and uh, we've still dealing with the coronavirus. And it doesn't look like we're going to not be dealing with that anytime soon. It seems to be the new norm. But let's start right here with what is happening. I mean, we're getting reports, at least our reporters are at Penn Live, that there's concerns there may not be enough poll workers. People are afraid to walk into these. Look, I, I understand. That's why I voted by mail. So what are you hearing, uh, Rajette, with regard to are we going to have enough people to staff these polls this Tuesday? Well, I can speak for Dauphin County. In areas where judge of elections or poll workers were concerned about working the polls all day, those polling places have already been consolidated with another polling place. That polling place has been moved. All this is right now temporary. Um, So things should hopefully go back to normal in the fall. The county did send out postcards to all voters in those particular wards and precincts to let them know their new polling places. The county Democratic Party, we've been making phone calls to voters, letting them know their options, that you can vote by mail. Uh, yesterday actually was the deadline, though, to get to get your application and to vote mm-hmm. by mail. So at this point, um, your only option is to go to the polling place. In addition, a lot of our post offices are working less than half capacity. So depending on when you set your ballot in, Will you get it in time to be able to get it to the county office in time by June 2nd? So some people who try to vote by mail, if they wait it too late, will have to go to the polls anyways. So during our phone calls, we are educating people on their new polling places because there are some people who want to vote at the polls. You know, you have those people who don't want to go, but you do have people who do. So we're just making sure that people have all the information that they need to make sure their vote is counted. My goodness. Jeffrey, what are your thoughts on this? Are the Republicans concerned about any of this? I mean, you don't really have a lot at stake in this primary, right? I mean, no, no, we we don't. And, you know, unlike Rosette, I'm not, you know, a local party official here. So I don't quite know all the ins and outs here. I do know that my intention is to show up at my polling place here in Cumberland County and vote. And if they've consolidated it or they've, uh, 
switched it. I assume they will have uh, signs up that tell us where to go and what to do, but I thought I wanted to make a point of showing up in person. Why would you want to make a point? I mean, I thought you were as cautious as I am about this doggone virus. Why would you? Well, I am cautious, but I mean, this is the building block of democracy, as they say, and I just want to make sure that I do it and show up. Ah, well, I just got, thank goodness. I will have a mask and gloves, so. Right. I did mine early and I just got an email uh, yesterday saying they'd received my ballot and all was in order. So that made me feel kind of good. I, I'm participating in democracy. Let's talk about this. I mean, I know that uh, Rajel at one point had a little concern, uh, had serious concerns about making everyone vote by mail. And the president has concerns about mail-in ballots. So what are our thoughts on this? Jeffrey, are you opposed to mail-in uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm concerned about it. I, I will say that in the last couple of days doing a little research here. I mean, I've come across people. There was one woman in Florida who apparently at some point may have worked in the Justice Department. I don't know, but she had some sort of government position of which she was now out. And she was in whatever county she lives in in Florida. And she ran her own test by applying for a ballot for herself in her own name. Then she made up a fictional character. And then she used the name of the, the philosopher historian, the late philosopher historian, H Hannah Arendt, and got applications for all three. She filled them out. One of them was rejected, but the one for H Hannah Arendt was accepted and was put on the rolls. And her point was, uh, you know, obviously that there's problems when you can do this and game the system. And my concern, I don't know whether you guys saw the story uh, in Pennsylvania, just last week, I think it was, and this did not involve mail-in ballots, but involved a Democratic uh, elections judge in Philadelphia who was indicted. He took money from a political consultant and then stood by the machine physically. And when people weren't looking, he, he kept racking in the votes manually. I mean, I just think based on experience, we have so many problems in the system as it is with not getting deceased people or people who've left and all of that kind of left Pennsylvania out of the system that we have to be extremely careful with this. But I guess you could say there's never going to be a perfect system. If you have people trying to game it, you have to set up as many roadblocks as you can. But in this case, when you have a virus, don't you want to, I mean, don't you need to at least have some way for people like me to vote? Because I am not going to oppose and changing pencils with 200 different people and, and, and putting my hand on a surface that where everyone's been that, no, I'm not doing it. So <laughs> even for democracy, I will not risk my life. So <laughs> what do you think, Rajet? I mean, I know you had concerns. Have your concerns been at least alleviated? At least the experts who look at this are saying it's not as serious a problem since so many states do it anyway. But what are your thoughts? There's always isolated stories of fraud. But states have been voting by mail for decades, and it does work. I'm just for options. Yeah. Vote by mail is an option, just like going to the polls is an option. But I'm also realistic. And because the post office is not working to full capacity, if a person waited until, say, yesterday to submit their application, they may not be able to get their ballot in time. So mm -hmm. in that sense, they have no choice but to go to the polls. I do know, again, I can only speak for Dauphin County because I've spoken to the commissioners and whatnot about election day activities, that there are protections in place to make sure that people don't vote by mail in addition to voting at the polls. So right. say, for instance, you didn't get your, your, your ballot in time, 
you would vote by provisional ballot that at the polls. That way they can compare to make sure only one vote counts. Um, so both parties, at least here in Dauphin County, are working together to make sure that we do have a safe system for everyone. Oh. Um, but my goal is just for, for options. It's not realistic for everyone to vote by mail, just like it's not realistic to get everyone to the polls. You're, but you're it's good right. to have the options. Another uh, thing that we have is, at least in Dauphin County, there's a drop box in front of the county administration building. So say you get your ballot, but you can't mail it in time, you can drop it off in that lockbox so that your vote can count as well. They are, so uh, I guess my concern too is that, you know, are we really communicating all people are so easily confused. And I, I always used to tell uh, the mayor when I work with him, you've got to say it three times for anybody to hear it. <laughs> yeah. you know? it's got to be coming at them different ways. Something like this, you know, unfortunately, I just know a lot of people are going to probably be confused. They're going to show up. They're going to be angry, it's especially if there's all this rejiggering of the polling places and all that. But it is what it is. We're in unprecedented times and we have to go along with this. But you did say something I wanted to note, Rochette, that there's bipartisan cooperation in trying to make this work. That's a good thing. That's a very, very good thing. If both the Republicans and Democrats locally are working together to try to smooth through things as best they can. But let's talk now, both of you. I just want to get your best guesses on these, the primary. Now, they're really, on, the contested ones are really Democrats. And I know, Rajette, you don't want to side with one or the other. But I wonder, Jeffrey, if as you're looking at this, especially things like who's going to go up against Representative Perry and, uh, and you know, who's going to take the Auditor General slot. I mean, are you, is the Republican Party looking at any of this and does any candidate stand out as particularly fearsome to you? I don't think so. I mean, that's not my impression here. I mean, one of the things I have to say, even I, Republican that I am, feel somewhat badly for, for the Democrats involved here. If you are in the out party, which in the case of the Perry race you are, or some of these other things you might be, all of this attention on the virus has sucked the air out of the, your ability to communicate forcefully with voters so that they are aware of what's going on. This makes their job harder. And I think that that is going to have an effect in that sense, in the kind of situation that Democrats are in in Rosette's area, for example, because it's a primary situation and, you know, everybody is not necessarily familiar with all the candidates. They've got to figure it out. And attention is not being paid as much as it might ordinarily be. Well, Rosette, I think you have indicated that it's extremely hard now for, I think, a challenger to come in up against an incumbent, right? I mean, considering that it just hasn't been the chance to campaign. Well, if you're new, it's harder to get the name recognition. Now, here in Dauphin County, uh, the County Democrat Party, we hold endorsements and we endorse in each race. So you had mentioned the congressional race. Our endorsed candidate is the current Auditor General Eugene D. Pasquale. And for Auditor General, we endorse uh, Tracy Fountain, who's a CPA and lives here in Dauphin County. So what we've been doing is we've been holding Facebook Live virtual meet and greets, which have been great. We've been getting a lot of attendance to try to help get their names out and get people to know them a little bit better. So campaigning has definitely changed during this period right now. It might help some of the candidates that don't have as much money in a mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in some way it kind of neutralizes, but in the other sense, it's harder for them to get their names out because the traditional methods don't work. So exactly. you have to be creative. 
It's a whole new world. So let me just do this. Let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to move from the local to taking a look at what's going on around the nation and, you know, really talking about the presidential race as well. So and of course, the coronavirus. We will be back. Stay tuned. Okay, we are back with Jeffrey Lord and Rajette Harris, and let's now move to the national scene. Look, first of all, let's just start with this horrible thing that's happening in Minneapolis. Um, it looks like uh, there's been another police, in four police, Minneapolis police officers have been fired for their involvement in the death of yet another Black man who couldn't breathe. We've got a problem in this country. And am I right or am I wrong? Are we going to be looking for President Trump and for President candidate Biden to at least step up and say what they can do to address this continual problem? I mean, it's a little passionate to me because, you know, I'm hearing this all the time and I have a black son. I don't want to be in this situation. What are your thoughts on this, guys? I mean, this is a disgraceful situation. I mean, utterly disgusting, infuriating to me. That said, I've just been around the block to know that if this is seen as a quote-unquote isolated incident, it doesn't have as much impact. If, in fact, this triggers you know, a massive wave of uh, protest nationally and you know, everything gets sort of turned upside down, that can, in fact, have a political effect in which both the president and and uh, Joe Biden are going to have to you know speak up and say something, et cetera. But it also reflects, as it always should, it reflects on the people running, you know, in this case, Minneapolis and the state of Minnesota. What were they doing right or wrong, wrong in this case, to let something like this happen in the first place? I mean, the truth is, there's only so much a federal president can do about this thing, except... Right, right. I mean, it's a real state and local situation. Yes, except they can set a tone and they can offer leadership. And I do think, am I wrong about this, Rajat? that they have to say something. The president should be making some very strong statements about just what's tolerable. And just like you've just done, Jeffrey, except, I mean, you're saying if it is seen as isolated, well, who's doing the seeing? I mean, if you're on the, on the side of the black community looking at this, it's not an isolated incident. It happens. Well, what, what I mean by who's doing the seeing is if the black community itself, I mean, if, if, there, if this sparks protests all around the country, then that's one thing. But if, in fact, it doesn't, that's another. Bridget, how are the Democrats viewing this? Are we going to hear from Biden on this? Well, as you mentioned, um, saying this is a state issue, let's not forget that all of our state legislatures on the House side are up this year, along with half of our Senate seats. So this will affect the election this year. I would argue it could affect turnout because this isn't an isolated issue. It happens too often. I think it can affect turnout because we don't see our elected officials from the top down addressing the police and community relations within minority communities. And so so one could have the attitude, if you don't care about my life, why should I vote for you? Mm. So I think it's in the better interest. And this isn't even a party issue. This is just a human issue. And now we have these instances on video. It would, it just, it just makes my mind wonder before we had cell phones, how often this occurs, because this seems to happen on a monthly, every month basis where you see African-Americans killed for no reason at all on someone's cell phone. 
So it's definitely in the better interest for our candidates and elected officials from the top down to address how uh, police, certain police do interact with minority communities. And we can't ignore it anymore. We have it on videotape. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering, are you think I mean Jeffrey raised a good point though. Do you think this is something that could spread? That right now we're seeing unrest in Minneapolis. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying riots, but we are seeing unrest there. Are you guys getting the sense that this might pick up and, and that people may become angry over this throughout the nation? Well, people have. I mean, remember this is similar to Eric Gardner in New York. Those police yeah, officers I were fired. But uh, they were never arrested. They were never charged. There was plenty of unrest then. Uh, So there is national protest about this. The problem is, for some reason, these police officers are never brought to justice. Well, I mean, and I would be curious. I I don't know the answer to this, but I'll take a wild guess that the mayor of Minneapolis is a Democrat. And, you know, the, the responsible officer of the government is the mayor in this case. And I believe I'm correct that the governor of Minnesota is also a Democrat. So the question would be, Republican or Democrat, but the question would be, why was this allowed to happen in the first place? I mean, yeah. how does how, how does a police officer think that he is entitled to do something like this? Have they no training? Have they, I mean, I would think that, you know, local people will start asking questions about the mayor and why this is allowed in the first place. I, I don't see. I think that's a, that's the truth. I mean, right there, you have to look at really what was their and why haven't they been arrested? As Rajat said, you know, they've been fired, which is a good thing. But but this is this was a crime. This was this was, uh, you know, I mean, you can't it has to be judged in the court of law exactly what what went on. But it, from our reports, it looks like this person's life was taken for for no reason. Well, Look, this is something that I think is going to keep stay with us for uh, for certainly for the coming weeks. But let's let's move on to talk about just how things. Just are one, one other thing, Joyce, and I mentioned this to you before we went on. Uh, I, I remember, I, I think I'm correct, 1964 when there were I forget what was the spark for it, but it did set off a series of protests and riots uh, that went national and were in various American cities. And I think that did in turn have a an effect on the 1964 presidential election. So it can happen, is my point. Well, also, it can happen depending upon, again, people are listening. They're going to want to hear what the president right. has to say. And I, I will say that he did make a strong statement on this last incident in which, you know, we had an African-American killed. I mean, he did find it disgusting that there was nothing to criticize about that statement. But I think a similar statement needs to come out if not a stronger one right now. And Biden as well can't come out and just act black. He's got to really say something that shows he's got leadership, right? And, you know, one of the things that that I I will say that I I certainly know from personal knowledge, since I know some of the people involved, he does have a whole raft of, uh, quote unquote, black conservatives who are serious Trump supporters. And doubtless he will hear from them. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope we'll be listening. But let's move on now. We still got to talk about everything uh, to do with COVID-19. And the latest thing that at least had caught my eye was that the unreliability of the antibody test. That's something that's out there. You know, it's almost like you can't, you can't trust anything with this virus. It, you know, you you need to be tested. The tests aren't accurate. 
um, even if you had it, you're not sure if you had it and if you have an immunity to it. And then on top of all this, we have the president not wearing a mask. I mean, you know, at the very least, when we go out into public, we want people to to do everything they can to protect each other. But Jeffrey, we have a symbol here. I mean, are you going out in the public without a mask, Jeffrey? When I go into the grocery store, I put the mask on. Right. Yes. But of course, I don't wear a mask when I'm sitting in my own car driving. You know, you can have reasonable disagreements about this, but there is an element here in this particular case of symbols and leadership. And there are people who honestly feel the president in public should not be wearing it because he should be holding up the flag that we're going to defeat this thing and I'm out here and I'm not worried, et cetera, et cetera. On the other hand, you got people who are saying, Joe Biden, et cetera, that when I'm out in public, I should wear a mask to show that I'm with the science and all that. kind. Of, I mean, so you, you, it does sort of devolve into a, that kind of an issue here that I frankly don't think that's going to be resolved. Well, I am Rajette. What are your thoughts on this? Well, the president's going against the advice of his own experts. Just like this past weekend with the Memorial Day uh, activities, he was mocking uh, Joe Biden for wearing a mask, almost saying it's not masculine to, to wear a mask. I honestly don't know what his strategy or gameplay is. It's a very simple thing to do, especially during this period of uncertainty of the virus, how you get it how you can pass it along is a very easy, simple thing to do, especially as we start to reopen the country. I honestly can't understand why he won't put it on. I mean, he's definitely making a statement. I agree with Jeffrey on that. I, it just, it just kind of escapes me as to what that statement is. Well, it's a statement, frankly, that I wouldn't want everyone to make as well. I wouldn't want to model that behavior because it would just be so dangerous. It would really mean that people are not so much more vulnerable if people around them are not wearing the mask. Because as we've been told by the scientists, Jeffrey, that mask prevents me from spreading it to you. So it's my sign of respect and concern for the people around me, as opposed to whether I'm a big bad gal and and can take it. You know, that I think is a message that we need to all be on the same page with that. But I I understand you're going to support the president, but it is it is something that's difficult for people to... I mean, to beyond protect. beyond the president, there are plenty of people, you know, I went to the first of those two rallies in Harrisburg, and there are plenty of people there who were not wearing a mask. Yeah, but that doesn't uh, mean... They, right, they, they really do feel that th- this is becoming oppressive and that the mask is becoming a symbol for oppression and, you know, sheeple and all of that kind of thing. So there are people out there who feel that way. And I, I think, frankly, that feeling is going to increase. Well, frankly, for me, that mask is a sign of respect for my community and and for and my desire to protect vulnerable people around me. Well, I, I wear it. You'll be happy. I spread my germs if I should have it to an, an older woman who might end up with a ventilator in her throat. That is right. not something I would want to be responsible for. And that doesn't take a whole lot of thought. That just takes a little bit of heart. That's all. So, but let's go. It's a short term inconvenience. It's a short term inconvenience for a long term gain. That's how I see it. And the the issue of the churches. I mean, we need to talk about this. We had this call for the churches to return. Although what I'm hearing, at least from some of the circles that most churches, especially if they have people who are older, are taking it very, very slow with with reopening. I mean, is that what you guys are hearing about? Well, I can tell you from my own personal experience, uh, I belong to Chapel Hill United Church of Christ 
here in Camp Hill, and uh, we are now back in session in the parking lot in our cars. The minister stands at a podium outside the, the back and door of the church, you're still in the and, uh, and, and the sermon and, and music and everything is conducted there. Uh, everybody is in their car. When we get out of the car to put uh, our offering in the plate, everybody is wearing a mask. And, and Cumberland, is the, uh, your church is in the yellow zone, right? It's not green yet, right? No, it's not green yet. No. Yeah. Okay. All right. In green, when it's green, do you guys have a plan to actually reopen, or is it still going to be? Uh, well, I think. I mean, one of the thoughts we had is uh, we have a front lawn uh, on uh, that fronts Poplar Church and Erford Road, and the minister is suggesting that we have an outdoor service on the front lawn. You know, seated six feet apart, but you know, visible to all the world, as it were. Uh, well, I bring up the churches only because that's a symbol of, of what we're trying to do to reopen. And I know, Regette, you were very concerned from the very beginning about making sure we manage the economy as we try to battle this virus. But we are looking at this now. We're in the stage of this slow reopening. I had a conversation yesterday with uh, President Thain at Lebanon Valley College and President Ski at Hack about the schools. And they're taking almost different views on this. Lebanon Valley College, it looks like it's planning to reopen, including having kids on campus in the fall. Hack is going to only do online. Again, two different approaches, different circumstances, but at least there's this thought process now of how we're going to get past this and manage this while while having an economy, right? I mean, Right. And some of it's going to be trial and error. I do think, though, um, just like when Jeffrey brought up about the churches outside services, now that it's summer, we are going to see more summer activities, for example, in movies. I can see drive-ins, at least during the summer months, coming back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Things of that nature. So I think people will, our businesses will take advantage of the warmer weather until things slow down even more and we can figure things out as we move toward the fall and winter months. Or, Drive-in theaters, welcome back to 1958. Exactly. <laughs> that and I remember those very well. Yes, and the only thing I will I will leave, and we'll leave with something a little bit upbeat, but unless there's a, a second wave, unless this reopening shows that um, the virus can, spreads even quicker, then I think we'll, we may have to retrench again, unfortunately. But for now, we are all looking at the possibility of at least there being a little bit of easing and a little bit of... Uh, heading toward being able to re-engage with humanity <laughs> at some point. I, I'm sure we're all looking forward to that. Correct, guys? Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. I, I don't think anybody had any idea how much we miss people in our ordinary, average, everyday life until suddenly you can't do it for months on end. Yes. And I will say I do miss not being able to sit across the table from you guys and, and look you in the eye. <laughs> Or laugh with you in person. So with that, I think I miss seeing how horrified Rochette is when I say something. <laughs> the expression on her face, right? <laughs> well, one day we will we will re meet again and be able to share these in person. So with that, I'm going to have to cut it off here. But let's look forward to getting together next week, and we'll have to discuss the results of the elections when we next talk and see where that's going to lead for for the fall. So with that, I want to thank Jeffrey. And uh, thank you, Rochette. And I want to thank our listeners for joining. Thanks and look forward to seeing you or hearing from you next week. <laughs> Bye-bye. This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at Battleground PA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. 
Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on PenLive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. More info and past episodes can be found at battlegroundpa.org.